0: God, I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For you, Lord God, are our son and our shield. You bestow favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts, lives for, gives themselves, surrender themselves to you. And so, Lord. As we gather together, I pray that you encourage your body, that you build them up, and to remind us yet again that it's all about Jesus, not about us. May you increase and us decrease. And I pray that not only for each of us individually, but for us as a church as well. God, may the name of Trinity decrease as your name increases across this whole area. God, you see those who do not know you who are still walking and trying to figure out where joy can be found. Lord, may you place us at the right time in the right place to be able to speak Jesus and model Jesus for them. Not for our glory, but for yours. We love you. We praise you. We are yours, and that is the greatest thing about any of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. Give Jesus praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You guys may have a seat. Oh, man, he's good. Oh, man, it's so good to be with you guys. Happy Labor Day weekend, everybody. I hope some of you guys get a little rest um, this weekend, if you are able. Um, Sounds like it's going to rain tomorrow, so you may be forced to rest anyway, a lot of you. I know about you, but if I look outside of my yard, there's work to be done. It's really hard to rest inside. But if it's raining, I can't do it. So, that's so much for that. Well, we're going to jump back into uh, the book of Ephesians together and un- unpack God's Word. Um, but before I do that, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who are leaning in and praying with us right now. Uh, we, as a church, crave to, to make sure that our wills are aligned with God's, that, we, that our unity as a church is strengthened, and that He continues to do a mighty work in and through us as a church. And for that reason, uh, we decided to set apart, before all the, the Bible studies and small groups begin, to set apart two weeks of prayer and fasting as a church. And that began last Sunday. Uh, we're, that's going to culminate this upcoming Sunday. Um, but I just want to say, man, thank you so much for all of you who have been leaning in and praying with us. Um, we, we, I'm just, it's amazing, it's amazing to see your all's hearts. And we've been trying to facilitate this as a church um, by having different brothers and sisters in this congregation write out prayers and send those out daily to all those who are on our, our e-blast as a church. Uh, if you're not a part of our e-blast, you can easily sign up for that. Just, uh, there's, a, there's an option in our Connect card uh, to be able to sign up for that um, because we're going to have more coming out this upcoming week. But that's one way. And I encourage you, if you're getting those, pause, read that scripture passage, and agree in prayer with that person who who is leading us in prayer from our congregation. But we also have a Wednesday night prayer time. So last Wednesday, 6 o'clock, we had about over two dozen of us meet right here in the fellowship hall, this big room over here. And man, what what a powerful time of prayer that was. I loved it. I loved it. Well, we're doing it again this Wednesday. Same time, 6 p.m., same place. Uh, it was really cool because we got to sing a couple songs to get our hearts and minds right. And then we broke up into groups and just said, God, what are you trying to say to us? And then we prayed, and then we got to share what God was telling each group. And it was amazing how, how there were so many common themes across all of those groups. It was really neat. So if you can, join us this Wednesday, 6 p.m., for that. Um, but however you choose to lean in. Man, let's open our hearts to God. All right, let, let's open our hearts to him. Let, him. let him do what he needs to do in our lives and continue to pray that he, he opens doors for us in our community as well to share Christ. Amen, everybody? All right, now on to Ephesians. So believe it or not, we are nearing the end of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Um, We are in the first half of chapter 6 today. We're going to unpack that today. Next Sunday, uh, we're going to have a a corporate prayer service. So when you come in, it's going to be a little bit different as as a way to culminate our our two weeks of prayer and fasting. And then the week after that, on the 18th, we're going to begin six weeks in just the second half of Ephesians chapter 6. In a series we're calling The Armor of God. Um, So we're going to look at those together. I'm really excited about it because, you know, life is hard, and our minds are all kind of crazy sometimes. But do you realize in Christ, He's given you all the spiritual equipment you need in order to stand firm in His strength? Man, we're going to talk about that. We're talking about that. started the 18th. That's coming up, and I'm looking forward to it. But today... We are in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 9, where Paul is addressing this question. Man, if Jesus has changed your life, my life, our lives, how will that then translate into transformation in our families and in our workplaces? Two spheres of life where we probably spend most of our time and energy, family and workplace. Well, how does our relationship with Christ transform those places? Because, you know, in the first half of Ephesians, man, it, he talks about this amazing spiritual reality that we have by faith in the grace of God and through what he's done in Christ. He says things like, man, you have been chosen and adopted in Christ, that you belong to him. Wow. Okay, well, what does that mean for our earthly family, though? And he says amazing things and in chapter 2, like, "Man, you are saved by grace through faith. It's not something we can boast about, but yet you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which he's prepared. Man. Okay. Well, how does that then translate into our workplaces, <laughs> our regular everyday lives? Because we got this theology that he's given us that's amazing and true. But what does that theology look like when it puts its feet on the ground of our everyday lives? You know, six years ago, I took a small team from Trinity uh, to a family ministry conference down in Louisville, Kentucky for a few days. The whole point of this conference was that we might learn how to equip families uh, and and our volunteers to teach our kids how to love Jesus with everything they are. Pretty cool. And so we went... um, Graciously, at the time, Shelby and I, we had two kids, uh, three and one. So our house was very busy. um, But Shelby graciously allowed me to go. So I went, flew there, man, fired up at the conference, filled up a big old notebook with all sorts of ideas, realizations, um, truths. And then I was flying back home, and my mind was in the clouds. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We get to do all of these ideas. But right when I get home... Before I could even hit the door, Shelby sees me coming. And she meets me before I can get to the door. She says, and she's holding our, our toddler. She says, I'm so glad you're home. She gives me a kiss. She says, and then, then she hands me our soggy diapered one-year-old. She says, tag, you're it. <laughs> right? It was like all of a sudden I was in the clouds. Now my feet are on the ground. Welcome to the real world. I can learn all of these things, but what does that actually look like when it translates into our everyday? And so that's what Paul is helping us see and wrestle through today. So yes, we've been chosen by God. We've been made alive together with Christ through faith. We've been sealed by his Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. But we live out these things in our workplaces, among our family. And if we're not living them there, then what is our faith? So I'm going to break this down. I'm going to say, first, how is Jesus leading us to treat those who have some measure of authority over us in life? Specifically, in this case, our parents or our bosses. And then how is he leading us to treat those for whom we have some responsibility? Right? We have some responsibility for. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9 together. It's on page 950 in the blue Bibles in front of you. Or you can follow on the screen behind me. Um, but heads up, if, if you haven't read this passage or you haven't read it in a while, Paul speaks directly here to slaves and masters, which causes a lot of questions right away of, okay, what does Paul and the Bible say and believe about slavery? I'll, I'll hit on that, okay? I will unpack that. Um, but I just want to give you a heads up so you're not caught off guard by it. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the, on the earth. Fathers, or you could also translate this, parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bend the, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So Lord, I pray that as we uh, unpack your word, that you'll make it clear. That my words may be clear and from you. That my thoughts may be of you. Uh, And that, God, that you open our hearts and our minds to hear whatever it is that you uh, are speaking to us. And may it not lead to, to, to shame or guilt, which are not ultimately of you. But may they lead to restoration and transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So my guess is after reading those nine verses, a lot of you probably have questions. Right? And, and I, I don't blame you if you do. Frankly, I do every time I read this passage, even though you know, I've spent some considerable amount of time in it. Um, I will, I'm going to do my best to try to try anticipate and answer as many of those questions as I can. I'm going to be moving somewhat fast because it's a lot to cover in a short amount of time. But if you have really hard questions that I have not covered, david at trinitynr.org is the place to go. Okay? The place to go. Fire away fire away. But it's touche, right? <laughs> but seriously, you can, re- you can reach out to me too. Um, but, but men, the question is, if we have been made new in Christ, how does that transform uh, the, the, the lives that we live? Um, and I'm going to try to talk about each of the relationships that Paul gets at in this passage. Um, but first, how does it transform how we treat those in authority over us? Specifically here, parents or bosses. All right, let me give this, give us a main point and then I'll fill this out. So main point, as we willfully choose To honor those in authority over us, we honor Christ. As we willfully choose to honor those in authority over us, we honor Christ. I'll unpack that. But first, let's look back at Ephesians 6, verse 1. That Paul starts with children. Now, wait, stop here. Just stop here. Now, you probably didn't bat an eyelid at the fact that Paul spoke directly to children, but I guarantee the believers in Ephesus, they noticed right away. Because You know, for the most part, our our culture places value on kids. But Roman culture did not. And Roman culture, babies, kids, considered they didn't have any rights. If a Roman father didn't want a baby, he could abandon it. If it was weak or deformed, he could choose to kill it. Even healthy kids in that day were considered a nuisance because they got in the way and they complicated life. They were to be seen, but not heard. So by speaking directly to them, Paul immediately dignifies them. As in the Christian community right away, as members in the Lord with the whole family of God. So he's acknowledging, just like we try to regularly, that our kids are the church as much as we are. Can I get the, do you guys agree with that? Our kids are the church as much as we are. But then speaking directly to them, Paul gives a twofold charge to obey and honor their parents. All right. First, let's talk about this word obey. <laughs> this word obey. It is, it is not a popular word in our, our society. For, for the most part, it, it seems to provoke negative reactions in people, not positive ones. Obedience mostly comes up, at least in in the broader culture, associated with with coercion or dominance or an overly rigid parent. If you imagine somebody who's living an obedient life, most people do not imagine a free or authentic one, but as much as a controlled one. And because this has become the the, the warped, twisted view of obedience in our society, a lot of popular parenting advice today sounds a bit like, Parents, follow the will of your kids and how you parent them. Am I speaking of the real world? Yeah. Yeah, even if it goes against your better judgment, follow the will of your own kids. But as Christ followers, we can't let the world define this word for us or determine how we feel about it. Not culture, but let Christ define this for us. Because Jesus himself... Repeatedly emphasized that he chose to obey his father in everything. But it was not motivated out of coercion, but love. But love. And as children of God, we seek to obey Christ and his word. Not because he's oppressing us. And not because we're trying to work for his love. But because we're loved. Do you guys get that distinction? big difference between we obey for love versus we obey because we're loved. And if we belong to Christ, we obey from love, not for it. Do you guys get the difference there? All right. And because the Father loves us, man, we trust that when He leads us, it's because obedience to Him leads us to greater freedom, not coercion manipulation or control and as kids we first learn humility and how to obey Jesus by obeying our parents but let's be honest though the word obedience is not popular today just because of our pop culture The word obedience is not popular because it never has been. (laughs) Since the beginning of creation, it's never been a popular word. Because as human beings, we have a sin nature. Obedience is not natural for anyone. David even says back in Psalm 51, since we were born, it doesn't matter how cute you were. We assume life is about us and we get angry when it's not. But obedience, especially as we're beginning life, man, that teaches us that our lives are not ultimately about us. But it's there that we learn from parents who who understand who God is. We learn that our lives are actually meant to find their highest joy in giving glory to God, not living for ourselves. And as parents, man, that's part of our call. I'll get to parents in a second. I'm mainly speaking to kids right now, though. Now, quick caveat, though. I wish I didn't have to say this, but I do. If on the rare occasion that obedience to our parents means disobedience to Christ, that falls out of line with what Paul is referring to here. Okay, he actually adds this word, obey in the Lord. As he's saying, obey as it is in line with Jesus. And I wish I didn't have to add this either. But obedience in the Lord does not include tolerating silently physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. That is not in the Lord. And I hope you know that if you're going through something like that, man, we love you. And you can come talk to any of us pastors here. man. And I hope you know we're safe. But we, we, we take that stuff Seriously. But after mentioning obedience, Paul takes it a step further, and he adds one more element to it. In verse 2, he says that we are also to honor your parents. See, obedience speaks of action, or at least it can, but honor involves the heart. Honor means not only to obey, but to also love and respect our parents. And, And in our particular culture, I mean we're we're expected to obey those in authority over us in our families until we reach a legal age, adulthood, right? But but the command to honor never goes away. That is something that we're called to do all our lives. And when I look out in this congregation and I can see several of you who have given so many hours and so much energy to as your parents were getting older or they currently are, you are giving time and energy to caring for them. Man, what a picture of honoring Christ that is. No one else may see you, but Christ does. And that is a picture of honoring him. But a church community that loves and respects its parents, and we grow to honor Christ. So that's one relationship where we're under authority. But the second one is our work. Now you might be saying, saying, Kirk, I don't see work in this passage. Well, I'm actually going to show how, speaking of slaves and masters, actually can be applied to our work. But first, let me address the elephant in the text here. All right, the elephant here is that Paul does tell slaves to obey their earthly masters with fear and trembling. What does that mean, Paul? What what are you getting at here? Are you condoning slavery as good? I mean, even if you you say you're not, like, why aren't you calling it out, Paul? Why aren't you speaking right out against it because it's not right? I mean, U.S. slave owners back in the day, man, they, they loved to quote Paul here. And use it as justification for owning another human being. But man, they did so without even trying to understand the culture of Paul's day or his revolutionary viewpoint. First, a little something about Roman society that we need to understand. Roman society depended on slavery and no one challenged it. They depended on slaves like we depend on computers or machines. And the majority view in that day was much like Aristotle says. He says, slaves are a living tool. A kind of possession with a soul. That's so wrong. That's so immoral. Why didn't Paul challenge that? Well, actually he does. He does. But in a different way than we might think. See, If Paul tried to start an abolition movement in his day, it would have required a whole lot of political power, which is something that, I'm sorry, the Christian movement at that time had none of. So instead, Paul decided he was going to create a revolutionary movement in the church itself. And it was going to light a gospel fuse that in time would explode the whole system. Because it's in the church that Paul welcomed slaves into the church community as equal members. He said in verse 9, he says, God shows no partiality to slave or master. In the church, he says, slave, master, you're both brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's a letter called Philemon which he writes to a Christian brother named Philemon who, who owned a slave. And Paul met the slave named Anisimus and he writes to Philemon and he says, Philemon, I encourage you to receive Anisimus back as a brother just as you would me. And Roman law in that day did provide a pathway out for slaves. And so Paul encouraged those in the church in Corinth. He says, please gain your freedom if you can. So in such a dehumanizing society, do you see how just the groundwork that Paul is laying in the church is just lighting a gospel fuse that as the kingdom of God spreads, all of a sudden the abolition movement has all its ground, its theological ground to begin do you guys see that? That eventually it would lead to an explosion of the whole unjust system. But for us today, as we try to say, okay, well, how, do, how does this apply to my life? Well, I think it does a really good job of help me, helping us give direction for our own work. Or for our relationship with those um, in authority over us. That as employees... We work for our bosses, or from, for some of us, our clients, knowing the Lord is our ultimate boss. Your boss may just see what you do on the outside. But Paul says, but God sees your heart. He sees why you do it. He says, so work with the sincerity of from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving Jesus himself. Pretty easy, right? (laughs) No. no. Well before Trinity, um, I had a boss once who proved himself to be deeply insecure. And he was doing several things which I, I, I felt like were not right. Not anything illegal, but I felt like was not right. But I felt somewhat stuck in this situation with this boss. So I would just come home and complain about him all the time. And eventually, though, God convicted me because my mouth was just a, a pool of negativity every day. And eventually God convicted me that I, I was not honoring him. I was just complaining about it about him. But if I was going to work for him, I needed to continue to work hard as if I was working for the Lord. That I needed to keep my heart open in love for this guy, even though bitterness and resentment had built up. And that I needed to wait on God's timing. And thankfully, God did show me a way out in time. But I see now how God used that situation, calling me to honor this man who was over me. And he used that situation to instead change me, to build a humility within me, a patience and a trust, and to even show me how to see my boss as God sees him in love. The process of learning to honor those in authority over us is actually part of God transforming us many times. Many times. And I know it's not easy and it's humbling. Which is one of the reasons why God promises for those who honor those over them, He promises a reward. Notice both in, in each case. He tells kids, He says, if, if, we're, if, you, if your church becomes the kind of place where, where you honor your parents, he says, then you will live long in the land and you'll begin to flourish. Why? Because that's the kind of community where there's stability, there's humility, and there's mutual respect. And to the employee, even the one tested and tried, Paul says, God sees you. And even if your employer is skimping out on you, God's not going to. Then in the end, man, he, is, he, he will reward you For your faithfulness and obedience and your choice to honor those in authority over you. Now I know that this doesn't address every unique situation in this room. And that everybody has to wrestle with this on their own. So I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to to take a piece of paper. And to think about those in authority over you. Whether it be your parents or your bosses. I did this. (laughs) Sorry about my handwriting everybody. But I want you to think about, man, who is it in your life that you owe some level of honor or obedience to? And I want you to write, whether it's in the sphere of your family or your work. And if you, if you are retired, you don't have any work, if you're not working for anybody anymore, you own your own company, man, who else is an authority over you? You could put the government right there <laughs> if you wanted to. But in your family too, I put my parents' names and I even put my in-laws' names in there. Why? Because I want to show honor to them as well. But customize this however you want, but take this piece of paper, write it down, and say, during this week of prayer and fasting, commit to pray for them. And say, Lord, show me how to humbly honor those you've placed in authority over me. And if you realize you've been dishonoring those, just confess that to God. Receive His grace and ask Him to teach and mold fresh humility in your heart. Because if Christ, Lived a life of obedience, man. He calls us to do the same. You guys tracking with me? And again, does that speak to every unique situation in this room? Unfortunately, I can't. But that's where I invite you to invite the Lord into this in prayer and allow Him to show you what His pathway and what obedience to Him ultimately looks like in these relationships. So for those over us, we are told to honor them as we would Christ. But what about the second set of relationships? What about those placed under our care or our leadership? Well, when we are given responsibility over someone, we are to lead them as Christ leads us. Again, nice idea. Let's talk about it in real life. All right. Paul speaks to fathers. Now, again, you could read this as parents. You could read this as mothers. Uh, But it's a big deal that we translate this fathers because in Paul's day, the Roman dad, he could do whatever he wanted to do. He lived the way he wanted to do. He wanted to live. But Paul is saying, now Christ is over you. So now you have somebody over you. So what does that mean? Well, as he speaks to them, man, I'm realizing it is so easy for me to parent the way that makes my life easier. I'm going to confess here, everybody. All right? Because I'm not even about to pretend like I got this all figured out. Like I've, I've given away my patience so many times because my kids are not making my life easier. Or when I'm tired, I, I put too many rules on my kids, expecting them to be more mature than they're developmentally able to be. Because again, I want order in my life. Or sometimes I'll just disengage or just kind of let them do whatever they want, even though I know it's probably not the best decision for them because I just don't have the energy for it. But, man, in those moments when God shows me, Kirk, you're not leading them well right now. And that's when I've learned, man, i got to go to Jesus. i got to dump my parent guilt on him because guilt never made me a better parent. Amen, everybody? Yeah. Receive his grace and remember his love. Because I can't lead my kids well unless I remember that I'm a son of God first. And that goes for every parent in here. And then I'm learning to pray after these moments. Lord, show me your beautiful vision for who you've made my kids to be. Lord, give me eyes to see the person you're growing them into. But don't stop there, Lord. I know they are your handiwork created in Christ Jesus that, I, that you are going to grow them up to become like Christ. But go, Lord, don't stop there. Show me how to lead them there too. Number two, show me how to equip them and lead them. God, what habits do I need to create in my life? What moments do I need to seize and just it, to, in order to teach them or train them or discipline them or to encourage them? Lord, I need to be led by your Spirit too. Otherwise, I Kids don't come with a manual. They don't. I need God regularly in order to learn how to lead them. That goes for everybody. But the thing I've been wrestling with lately is, Lord, what kind of habits do you want me to instill in my family life in order to raise them up in the Lord? I want to encourage families in here. First off, you know I love you, right? It's like, I'll determine that after you say what you're going to say. Seriously, I love you. But how are we going to teach our kids that their lives are ultimately about the glory of God if we're not regularly bringing them to church and teaching them to worship God? If other things, I understand vacations, I understand breaks. Shoot, my family took one too. But what I am saying is not just about right now or one Sunday or two Sundays. I'm saying, what's the pattern of our lives? Do we ultimately as a family model that, hey, we live for the glory of God in everything, not just Sundays, or do we model, hey, we we actually do what we want to do when it's most convenient for us? You know I love you, right? Okay. All right, all right. Again, but 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 see, God has placed kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, students under our care so that we can ask God, God, what's your vision for them? And how can we lead them like you lead us? But second, Paul speaks to employers, which can really apply to any of us. Any of us who are doing uh, have somebody doing work for us, right? Even if you don't have actual people underneath you in your job, like, we have people who work for us in capacities like financial advisors, lawyers, uh, construction workers, right? We all have people who do work for us. Well, how do we handle that? He says, when we were powerless, we have a Lord and a master who used his power to love and empower us. He did not threaten, intimidate, manipulate, but instead our God engaged, equipped, and empowered those under our charge. Now, listen, being a Christ-like employer does not mean that you let your employees do whatever they want. Like, they, they should work. Right? They should do the work they signed up to do and do it to the best of their ability. So, as Christ like employers, we're saying, how are we providing clear direction and development so that they can do their best work? But the thing that Paul adds in here is he says, for anybody who is using their power over the powerless in a way to control or manipulate them, he says, don't forget you will answer to your ultimate master one day. It's interesting how to those under authority, he promises a reward for honoring. To those in authority, he gives a warning. (laughs) And it's sobering. Because power can sometimes corrupt. But if we remember that we are underneath Christ, then we are to steward those that he's placed under our care. So again... Take that same sheet of paper and to think about, man, who are those that God has placed under your charge in the sphere of your family? Who are those that God has placed under your charge in the sphere of work? So I put Trinity staff under work. I put my kids' names under family. But again, customize that however you want. But we're asking, we're we're putting those down and saying, God, show me how you've made them. Give me a vision for who they are to be. Now show me how to encourage them, equip them, or serve them so they can become like Jesus. But we welcome Christ into our families and our workplaces when we honor those in authority over us as we honor him and lead like he leads us. Now, my guess is if I took a poll of this whole church and I said, you know, where do you spend most of your energy, your time? What, what places give you the most stress? Most of the answers would have something to do with your family life or your work life. You think that's fair? And part of that's intentional because God actually created us to, to get a picture of what his unconditional love and a sense of belonging looks like in our families. In our work, he created us to work, right? That we would find meaningful purpose and work in this world as it ties into what he is doing. But because of sin, those two spheres of our lives are often the very places where bitterness, resentment, anger, pride, division, and all sorts of other crud tend to creep up. But instead of trying to figure it out alone, Christ invites us to come to him again and again. Remember the reality of who he is to us and learn from him. So here we are as a church coming back again to his table. His table where we were reminded that we have been adopted into his family. And here we can admit our weakness, confess our sin, lay down our guilt and any sense of failure, and instead receive again his grace, his mercy. So before we welcome him into our homes and our workplaces, remember, he welcomed us first. So I just want to give a moment of silence right now before we take communion. Just allow the Lord to search your heart. If there's anything that he's called you to lay down. Remember, talking about work and family can sometimes be sensitive areas in our hearts. He's not a God of guilt. He's not a God of condemnation. He's a God of transformation and grace, isn't he? Receive his grace in this moment, if that's what's weighing on your heart. Let's just take a moment of silence right now and let the Lord search your heart. If there's anything that comes to mind, just lay it down before him. Lord I thank you so much that all the times that I've come up short in my family and in work that God that your grace has been there and that you remind me that despite all the times I've dishonored you I've failed to obey you the amount of times that God I've used the responsibility you've given me to serve myself instead of raising my kids or stewarding staff in a way that honors you, God. I I lay that down before you, and I just say, man, may your grace meet me here and lead to transformation, not condemnation. Thank you that you've welcomed us to your table. We've been adopted as your own, and nobody can take that away from us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Any chance the kids are out there yet? Good. Good. Come on in, guys.